0: Were there camera tricks involved on that particular episode?
1: We were on a runway just north of London. Trucks were going 60 miles an hour or something wild. And my mother was there. They wanted my mother there to film. i would teach you the first thing I ever learned. Yes. So it's just very simple. You have a coin. Hands are empty. No sleeves, nothing. And when you do this again, take this here. Coin disappears. So simple. You have
0: an interesting connection with magic and India.
1: There have been two instant loves in my life, and one was magic and one was India. Namaste, my drum and hoon. Hey, Close? Yes. <laughs>
0: Welcome to another episode of Hey Karish, it's always a pleasure to have you back and it's a pleasure to welcome guests into our home. Today, um, I'm so, so excited because I don't think I have ever had a one-on-one conversation in depth with someone that has a career that is this enthralling. So I'm very excited for you to meet my guest today. Hey DMC, welcome home.
1: Hey Karish. How are you doing? Lovely to be here. Thank you very much. Very good to be here.
0: Thank you so much for driving all the way out from Abu Dhabi to Dubai. Dubai uh, road's giving you some trouble. It's
1: very easy. No, no, quick trip. A little commute. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. So just a little brief of, um, you know, how we met. Uh, Now, I host a radio show called Subha in the City on City 1016 with my co-host Parikshit. And uh, I think it was Pari that got in touch with your team or the other way around. Uh, Well, it led to you actually coming onto the show. And that was my first introduction with you. Truth be told, I was not expecting much more than what I have seen usually from people that I've seen at events. But you completely blew my mind. And I was like, okay, there's someone that's doing something unique for our generation. And there's got to be an interesting story behind it. So thank you for coming out today. It's
1: my pleasure. It's a story. It's definitely a story.
0: All right, so it's DMC and you just mentioned to us that that's the brand.
1: Yeah, so what well, DMC is is the long version. So I, you know, the, the full name is Drummond William Thomas Money Coots, very long, very complicated, old British name, Drummond is usually a surname, but I, I have it as my first name. So my initials are DMC. And and so for Magic, usually I use DMC, but on a personal level, it, it'd be-
0: Drummond. Um, Drummond. Fantastic, all right Drummond. So. Um, you're an illusionist, you're an onstage performer, you've done your own Netflix show and you've also done a show, actually, when I was looking up about you, I found that there was a show called Beyond Magic that you used to do that was on Nat Geo.
1: I was on Nat Geo. I think it's, somebody told me it's on Disney Plus now. Because now? it's part of the group.
0: And oh, nice. So I think it's
1: there, but it was long back. It, so it you're a, very, a
0: TV, uh, you know, personality, you're an OTT personality, don't mind Lucky. I love and Lucky. I've been Obi. Lucky already.
1: I'm, I'm half Lucky now. <laughs> I love
0: it. Yeah. You'll be full lucky we're by the time for it, yeah. we're
1: done. <laughs> we'll exchange.
0: And um, so you've obviously seen success. You've obviously made your mark. And you've made that quite early on in your career. How does one uh, even begin to think of becoming an illusionist? Was this a childhood dream of yours?
1: It was something there from day one. So as, as a young child, I just loved to watch magic. I loved to read about magic, to practice magic and then my father so, so my son in money Coots, there's a there's a very old bank in the UK called Coots bank mm-hmm. and that's a, it's about 350 years old very very old private bank and that's my father's family so tom Coots founded the bank in 1692 and then we've basically my father's side of the family have been financiers ever since so generations of banking mm-hmm. And what's funny is when I was about eight years old, my father took, took me to a magic shop, which was underneath Coots Bank where he was working. He worked there for 20 years. And it's just up from Buckingham Palace. And he had all these stories because, for example, um, the so the royal family famously bank with Coots in, in the UK. And Buckingham Palace is very close. And once a week, there is a special black taxi that leaves Coots & Co., the headquarters. It's bomb-proof. It has special security, but it brings the cash from the bank to the palace for them to then give to the staff and whatever. So there's all these very interesting stories around the bank. And I remember once he took us down to the vaults and all these very old trunks and you know the stories that come from a bank this old. But underneath the vaults of the bank, as you literally go into the underground, the metro station, there was a very old magic shop. It was a fourth generation, more than 100 years old. It survived World War One. it survived World War II. And then very sadly, um, it went under in COVID, tragic. But he took me there. I was eight mm-hmm. years old. It was called Davenport's. And I walked into the shop and I suddenly realized that I could learn to give people the sense that magic had always given me. So I could, that, that same giddy rush, that thrill of, of being a part of a piece of magic or watching magic, I could learn to almost be the drug dealer of that feeling right and i apparently i looked up to my father and i i asked him very seriously but why would anybody do anything else if you could give this emotion to people give this experience to people why would i spend time doing anything else and and it's it seems a very youthful opinion yeah. but it's something How i've old really were you then? so i was 8 i was 8 years you old were eight? i was 8 years old and I, and we bought the, he bought me the catalog and i memorized the catalog i memorized every single trick that they sold every deck of cards the price of everything and i bought a deck of cards and then that began everything and i've never you know when i try to explain it to people it's like when you meet the the husband or wife in their 70s or 80s and they say i saw her when i was 16 and i've never looked at i've never looked at anybody else that was what i had with magic you know that that it was such a powerful instant connection yeah. that just you know and it's been a it's been a journey it's been a very challenging journey, but I've never once thought about anything else, even considering doing anything else.
0: And so clearly you come from generations of being bankers and, you know, the royal family and I don't know what else, secret society had vaults in that underground, (laughs) uh, you know, place. But was the family all right with this?
1: It was a discussion and I was, I was very fortunate. I went to Eton College, very old college in the UK, 500 years old, and went to university and, and was very fortunate in terms of my upbringing. And Confidently, I'm probably the first student in 500 years to be a full-time magician. So it was certainly a, it was a sequence of discussions with my family. And and I understand looking back, it was, it was a wild notion to go into the world with all my friends becoming lawyers and bankers.
0: Yeah. See, in an Indian household, this would not be one or two or even a, you know, handful of simple discussions this would be that you're going to get excommunicated <laughs> from the family. You're not going to be <laughs> an, an heirloom. Huger. Yeah. So did you have any of that?
1: My parents are very, under, I, I think they saw very early the, how serious I was. And I'm just, I, I'm made different on some levels. And I, and there's many things, many ways that I am that, that, you know, I have great many friends with much more, of, let's say, um, uh, you know the standard careers, the standard lifestyles. I've always been very different, and and I think it was just very clear that it that was, huh? A struggle here would be futile, and that when I left university, I climbed Kilimanjaro with my father. It was a sort of father son journey, and we were climbing. and I don't remember this, but again, he says he says we had this conversation. This was me going into the real world, and of course, I'd been doing magic for a long time. I'd be doing private shows, and he said to me. What's plan A? I said, plan A is magic. And he said, okay, I understand. And we walked on a bit further. And then he said, what's plan B? And I said, apparently that plan B is to make plan A work. And that was it. And again, it chimes with how I feel. I've just never looked left or right. It's okay. always been... Blinds on. I'm in this position where to be able to sit with two people or 50 people or 300 people and, and give them this experience with magic... These beautiful moments. It's very hard to look at anything else. And and when I was at university, I worked a year in I worked a year in Madrid mm. and I worked for Merrill Lynch. And between school and university, I worked for Goldman Sachs, making money in London. And I just couldn't sit there juggling spreadsheets and making money and knowing that I could go into the world and give people these beautiful moments with their family, with their wives, husbands, with their children. And I would just feel it's an injustice to so many people. When you find a way of putting goodness into the world, no matter how difficult that is or challenging that is, when you know, you know, probably when I was 15 or 16, I started doing birthday, you know, friends birthday parties and I could have 15 people around me exploding with whatever I was doing with a deck of cards or whatever it might be. And you just think there's no going back from this. There's there's no, there's no, there's nothing out there which comes close to this.
0: Yeah, I guess when the passions that, you know, visible, so kind of hard. hard to argue. It's so hard.
1: You find that passion, that sort of icky guy, you know, that, that blend of what you love and what you're good at and what serves the world. I could be doing something and be one of a hundred thousand people in the world who do this at a passable level. But when you find something that you just, it burns within you and you, again, it, it, it gives such joy to people and then the benefits that come with the career that then help in other ways, other people in other ways, It's just, it's been impossible to put that down and even consider something else.
0: Wow. I don't think I've met very many performers that have had solid careers you know, in the absence of this kind of passion. So that is a prerequisite to feel so strongly about something. And uh, I'm glad that it worked out for you. I'm glad that the banking career was short-lived and this is the one. So this is obviously a great place to start from. You've got all the ingredients to make magic, quite literally. Do you remember when was the first time that you actually successfully pulled off a magic trick?
1: You know, I think magic's one of those things that many people play with as most young boys will have a chapter they learn two or three card tricks and you get that giddy rush of impressing a whole bunch of people and I think it's quite uncommon to find someone who hasn't suddenly men typically more men will play with magic for a moment yeah. short-lived moment of something so it it started there and um I was, like I say, eight, nine, ten was locked in. And then when I went to, when I went to Eton, when I was 13, one of my dearest friends at school uh, was a magician. So we got there and together, the two of us, we just spent every afternoon. We'd, we'd, we'd bunk off sports. And And you know, what year is this? 99. 1999, and then I left in 04, so So very I little was,
0: access to internet.
1: Uh, this was the earliest dawning of the internet.
0: So how did you guys uh, study? How did you educate yourselves? It literally
1: be VHS cassette. You know, you'd send off for a cassette tape that someone had recorded and re-recorded. Of course, today, you know, magic is everywhere. Uh, TikTok and mm. YouTube. And mm. It's very easy to get into magic at a very low level. So most of it's quite basic entry-level magic. I think... Mostly, the harder, more impressive magic is still quite hard to find. But back then, it was it was impossible. I mean, I had to go to physically go to the shop in London, yeah. and I'd save up as much money as I could, and then I'd go and buy two decks of cards and a few coins or something special, mm-hmm. and then that would be mm-hmm. it. I'd have seven weeks, eight weeks where I'd have to just practice with those, and you'd save up and you'd buy a book, or like I say, you know, I remember there would be magicians you reach out to. There would be early forums, early chat rooms. Mm-hmm. And you'd say, I have this cassette tape and they have this cassette tape and I'll trade you. And so you'd go off and you'd send off one of those, you know, plastic VHS tapes in a jiffy bag. And a week later, something else turns out from Canada and you put it in and it's a grainy, really low quality video. <laughs> but you learn two or three more concepts or techniques or yeah. whatever it is. And it was tough. You had to earn it. And I think back then, again, it was a rite of passage. Things were say things were harder, whatever it was, 20 something years ago, but it was, you had to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just Google something and have everything at your feet. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, the two of us, we were, you know, best friends all the way through school. He remains a very close friend of mine. He's now teaching at Eton. He's now teaching French. He's gone back to teach French. He's very bright, very academic. He was much, he was a scholar when we were there and super intellectual. But we would just, we would pour through, you know, these these early magic websites and try to find manuscripts. I mean, it would literally be manuscripts. There would be a hundred copies of a magician would write up their repertoire or a certain routine or a certain handling for a Mm. piece of card magic. Mm. they print a hundred copies. That was it. And you had to go out there and find these stapled, badly photocopied copies of whatever it would be and learn that piece of magic. And... It was there was something beautiful about it, you know. Again, now I just think today in the world, it's there's, there's so much ease and comfort, you yeah. know. And Amazon yeah. comes guaranteed today by four p.m. or whatever it might be. Back <laughs> then, it you had to wait, wait weeks and for this, wait and weeks. wait, yeah, and not know if it would turn up. You know, tracking was was not very common, and. Yeah. So you could pay somebody something and not even know what was going
0: to turn up. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was a journey. It was a, it was a real, real journey to, you had to really commit yourself to learn magic. And then when I started traveling, everywhere I go to, I try to find local magicians.
0: And one of the places that you traveled, uh, that you've traveled extensively to is India. And you have uh, quite a lot of interesting... uh, You have an interesting connection (laughs) with magic and India. I have noticed. Yes. Tell us about the The India story.
1: The Jadu. Well, I just... So, like I said, I left school. Went to work for Goldman Sachs. This was six months. Uh, A lot of people in the UK, you take this year between school and university. gap year. And so you go and you make as much money as you can. And then you... Six months, you take off and you travel with a bunch of friends. And people go to South America or India or whatever. So... I, my grandmother was always in love with India. She adored India. And I grew up looking at all her photo albums and pictures of the Red Ford and pictures of Udaipur and the lake. And I it was the first choice, first choice for me to go to. So I worked at Goldman. I did not enjoy Goldman Sachs. I did not enjoy that corporate life. Again, I'd already tasted what it was to create magic for people and to make meaningful money that way. You know, so when I was at Goldman, I would leave the office and I would go to a private show and made good money. And so by the time I left, I, I literally went from Goldman's and I probably landed in Delhi. I landed about two o'clock in the morning, two days later. And it was this stark difference between this clinical steel and glass office on Fleet Street in London, corporate environment where there's barely a piece of paper on the floor to Delhi. You know, and Delhi is this beautiful chaos and the smells and the sights and the colors and the energy and, and the middle of the night. It's very strange arriving in somewhere, arriving in a country that you've never been to in the middle of the night. You don't get a real handle. Everything feels more mystical and it's dimly lit and there's a... There's that inscrutable magic to it. And so I remember I landed in Delhi with my friend George and we went and we, we were met by a family friend who my grandmother knew. My grandmother knew a man called uh, Jagat Singh Mehta. He was foreign minister in India. And uh, his son is my sister's godfather and my father is his daughter's godfather. And so we're very, very close. And so we went to stay at his uh, beautiful home in, in friend's colony. And I just fell in love straight away. Again, like magic. There have been two instant loves in my life. And one was magic and one was India. And there was, I think, I was explaining this to somebody a few months ago. And I said, you know, when sometimes somebody comes out of an abusive relationship and the next person they meet, they marry. It's like, you've been in this dark place with somebody for so long. And then the next person just is your salvation. And that's what it is. I think part of it, was Goldman's was just this sterile corporate, slightly bleak office environment where they even had, they had this, I remember this glass atrium in the middle of the building and the daylight would come through and it took me three months to realize it's not daylight. They have a roof over that glass atrium. It's artificial lighting that makes it feel when you're there at 8.30 uh, you know, in, the, in the evening in November that there's still daylight coming through. It's what they do in casinos. They make it feel like, Oh, there's no time passed. You're still focused, and and so it wasn't my place. It wasn't where I wanted to be. And then suddenly, Delhi was in every way possible the opposite: chaos and and just unpredictable, and beautiful, and just colorful, and 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 wild in all the most beautiful ways. So how
0: long did you stay there for? Six months.
1: So I was in India that trip for three months. We we were in Delhi, we went straight down to Udaipur where uh, Vikram's father Jagat was living. Beautiful old. Indian home in, um, just outside Udaipur, they have a family charity. So we worked for the charity for about a month. And then we jumped around, went to Mumbai, went to Jodhpur, went to Jaisalmer, Kerala Goa. And then George flew, I think he flew to Hong Kong and I ended up going on my own to Calcutta. And I landed again, meeting magicians everywhere I could. I would go and meet these Jadugars. And I, I remember in Jaisalmer, so beautiful. We were there, we were walking along and there was a little Indian boy and I have a picture somewhere I'll send to you. Seven years old. And he came up to us and he put a little carpet on the floor and he brought out these little three cups and it's the Indian style cups. And it's a very famous piece of magic, but in India it's done differently. And he knelt down and he started doing magic. And I, you know, I was 18. I was so madly in love with magic and I couldn't believe I was seeing an authentic Indian seven year old magician. And he knelt down, he did this beautiful sequence And then, and of course there's a big crowd, you know, these tourists and locals gathering around. And he, I remember the final thing he did, he reached out and asked for coins. And, you know, we all reached out and took coins and gave them to him. And he had this wooden stick. It was like a very basic magic wand. It was just a very plain wooden stick. And he just held the coins and waved the stick. And then the coins disappeared. And then he literally scooped up his carpet. Oh, it's all right. He's all we've right.
0: Got a, uh, we've, got okay. bit we've got of a, a we've got a bit of a greedy situation. <laughs> it's all right. He's we're, greedy for pets, is what it is. We're you now know? A He'll never let you stop. You're a
1: double
0: now. Lucky. It's
1: okay. Good it's boy. Okay.
0: Come on. Um, you know, your one arm's gonna get the work out of your life. I love it. No, I love it. We
1: had dogs. I haven't had a dog for years, but we grew up with dogs. But he, but like I say, he made the coins disappear, and then he scooped up all of his things and he disappeared. That was his. That was his payment. And so I ran after him and I grabbed him and I, through a local, we, uh, we, I found out more about him and it turned out his father was a relatively famous magician. And instead of just having his kids sit around or, or beg, he would teach them each magic and they would go into the streets and they would make, I think, probably quite good money. And he was so talented and we sat down and I showed him some things and I have, I do have a picture somewhere with him. But it was just magic that I'd never seen before.
0: You must find that picture. It's a beautiful,
1: it's just, and you see, he's looking up at me and he's, and he's got the stick and the cups and, and I'm as (laughs) wide eyed as he is, you know? And, and so I did that. And then would find magicians in Mumbai and Delhi. And, and then I ended up in Calcutta and I went to a magic convention. So this was like a hundred of Calcutta's best magicians and, for two or three days I was there. And, and, and it was so different. It was because every culture will have its own magic. This is what's so beautiful about magic, like music. It varies as much as music. It varies as much as uh, dance or combat or cuisine, different foods. Magic has a different flavor in every country and culture. So I, I again, spent two or three days just sitting with these magicians and learning and trading because what they do, I don't know. And what I I do, they don't know. And so we, you had these little trade-offs and you exchange little ideas. And then I flew to Bangkok and I talked about it this in the show. Then I went to Bangkok and met a whole bunch of extraordinary people, including Mr. Somkid, who was this card sheet, I think I mentioned. And he was this man. So again, got to Bangkok. I was there a few weeks before my friends. So I flew in from Calcutta. I was 18 and a half, 19. I remember I went to the Kosan Road. I had a backpack I had like two bags of magic stuff, books and cards, and I would drag them, it was so heavy, but I would drag them everywhere. And went to Bangkok and I, again, would meet local magicians, young local card magicians. There was a French magician called Vincent who was living in Bangkok and was very talented. And Vincent introduced me to a man called Mr. Somkid. Mr. Somkid was a professional card cheat. So obviously in Thailand, gambling is illegal, like many countries. Gambling is very, very illegal. But of course, with that, you, what grows up is a very underground culture of gambling. So you, it, within Bangkok, you have these underground gambling dens, sort of illegal casinos where people would go and bet money and, and gamble. Mr. Somkid would cheat for the casinos against the players, right? So he would be sort of protected by the house, but he would go there and cheat people. And it's not for me to judge, but he, Mr. Somkid would do things with cards I'd never seen before. And the, the difference between, you know, some magicians will say, oh, I can, I can walk into a casino and clear them out or whatever. Mostly not true at all. The, the methods within card magic and the methods within card cheating are poles apart. And there's a, some crossover, but very little. And the level of skill required to be a card magician typically can be very high, but you can also be at quite a basic entry level and still impress people. So it's permissible to not be very good as a card magician. As a card cheat in illegal gambling dens in Bangkok, it's not at all permissible. you mess a stakes up, game it, there. It's a whole different thing. And he had stories. of He had a friend of his who had been killed and he had all kinds of stories. But as I say, he, what he could do with a deck of cards was flawless. And, and I, you could say 27 and he'd reach out and he'd cut a packet of cards and count them and it would be 27 cards. Or he'd say six of clubs and he'd just shuffle the cards and produce the six of clubs. And what's interesting is in uh, where he was gambling, you wouldn't have a table. So, for example, Las Vegas card sheets—they'll use what's called holdouts. So you can use the table for cover. So there are various things you can do. You can obviously, you're sat there with your with your your knees. You can tuck things under your knees. You can tuck things under the table. People will have little pins under the table to to hold a card. In Thailand, you sit on the floor. So it's completely, again, completely different, completely different method of cheating. In the West, typically we use paper playing cards because it's cooler weather. In warmer countries, typically there'll be plastic playing cards, which, which handled completely differently. It's a very different feeling. So it's, it's, there's so many little details to it. And he was a master of everything. He could just do the most extraordinary things. And I remember there's a, there's a game in Thailand where they have two bowls and you, you put dice inside. and You shake the bowls and you pick it up and you see what the number is. The idea with the bowls is you can't cheat. You can't handle the dice. Mr. Somkid could cut the tip of his finger and insert a little magnet underneath the skin. And then, of course, when he would, he could switch out the dice and then in holding the bowls, the magnet would, would turn the dice to whatever number he needed as part of the game. It was this level of commitment to cut open the flesh of your finger and put a magnet inside. It was this level. And I spent two weeks with him. And again, he just, it was like my Kung Fu kid chapter where you just realize I've met some magicians in London who are quite good and quite talented, but there's a whole level of skill here that I'd never seen before. And I spent about two weeks with him and then, and then caught up with a bunch of people and we went, we went traveling, but just these extraordinary moments when you just meet these characters that change the direction of everything. And they, and, and you meet them and they blow open a new door of understanding within your mind. And, and yeah. within magic, I've been very blessed to meet some of these people. And, um,
0: this Mr. Somcare sounds like the next Netflix, you know, true docu. I feel like if Netflix is watching this, they need to find this Mr. Somker and and then track down his full story. We we went
1: back, we went back when I had my National Geographic show. So when I went to, so then I went to London, I started as a professional, would do private shows, but then was approached by Nat Geo to make a special. And the special was called Card Shark. And I did very well for Nat Geo, it was a huge hit with them. And I wanted to start by exploring that world between a card cheat and card magic. There's there's such beautiful history, characters, methods, (coughs) All of this. So we went back to find him in as part of the show and I filmed with him. And he by then he was retired. So but he again was this sort of Mr. Miyagi, this grey silver beard, long beard, and <laughs> uh, incredible face. And we found him. I remember we went back, we had to recce in Bangkok before we went. We filmed in London, Paris, and Bangkok. And we went back not knowing if we could find him. And I went back to some of my old contacts in Bangkok. And they said, Ah, oh, he's this is his number. This is where he's living. And we went back and found him. And we, we he, he graciously allowed us to film with him. I think he's now selling magic. I think he sort of transitioned into magic.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um.
1: But again, still just did things I'd never.
0: So interesting. Uh, you are a Netflix star. Um, you've done uh Death by Magic, which is such a scary show to watch. Um, uh, it's literally, you know, edge of your seat, nail biting every episode. And uh, I remember you mentioned that there were some very real injuries on set. Why would you come up with a concept like this?
1: A little bit of a backstory with the show. So like I said, we made Card Shark off the back of Card Shark, um, National Geographic said so we won a full series. We love this documentary magic style. It was, it was, for me, what's very important is that there's a narrative sense. It's not just a magic show with random celebrities, you're just doing random tricks in random places. It needs the sense of story. So that's what we really hit. We really developed this style of making television where magic met meaningful narratives and really fascinating stories in the real world. So we were doing this, but between the special and the series, I did a, I did a a commercial for the European golf tour and I was doing magic with these incredible golfers. Some of the best golfers, Jose, Ola and, and, um, a bunch of amazing French, Spanish, English players. And as part of that, we were meant to finish the whole project by me escaping, being torn apart by two golf buggies. Oh. Right? So this was just this idea we came up with. We said, look, let's come up with a dramatic finish. We're going to be at Glen Eagles. just beautiful golf hotel in Scotland. Let's finish the whole sequence by this big dramatic escape. So we said, fine, but this was my first ever commercial project. I'd never worked on anything at this level and I couldn't find consultants. I reached out to a bunch of people, nobody got back to me. And I was like, okay, well, we're just going to have to do this. So we came up with a bunch of beautiful ideas, most of which worked hundred percent. But again, being young and naive, but very keen to make it work. We came up with this, these safety mechanisms for the golf buggies. And we got everybody there, a couple of hundred people, the the cameras right in front of the hotel and we shot all the other magic. We got everybody together for this big finish and it started raining just before we started filming. And for details, I won't go into it. That messed with the mechanisms we had. Oh no. And so the producer looked at me and he said, look, what are we, what's the process here? Cause this isn't what we'd planned. It wasn't going to work. So being a young, naive moron, I said, we'll do it for real. If the safety mechanism is going to, if it's not going to work, we just do this for real. And we didn't even really talk about it. He just said, <laughs> he asked me once, are you sure? I said, yes, we can do this. And that was it. So we were suddenly doing this hundred percent for real with no safety mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And again, everyone's there, everyone's waiting. And basically my, I had handcuffs on, my elbows were attached to long ropes, which were tied to, two, to a golf buggy each, which was set off. They would start here and then they whip past me and go in opposite directions. And I had to get out of the cuffs and the ropes before the ropes went tight. And one was in front of me, one was behind me. I was on my knees and there was these coils of rope and they, you know, we did the countdown and go. And the buggies, which had the brakes taken off, so they were fast, super fast buggies. They whip past me and I was gauging from this coil of rope how much time I had and i didn't want to get out with 5 seconds i wanted to keep it quite tight so i got the cuffs off but then didn't realize as part of the rain the ropes were now tighter they'd sort of tightened in the water and so they were they were harder to get off my arms they wouldn't just slip off i had to really work them off and so i literally i reached up i got the cuffs off i got this rope out of my hand just and as literally the moment i let go of this rope My right elbow was whipped up into the air and I got dragged off my feet and just dragged down the tarmac in front of everybody. Super dramatic. People are screaming. I stand up. There's blood everywhere. My clothes are shredded. The whole side of my body is shredded blood. And I think I stood up. I was so, it was such a strange moment. I stood up and I got the rope off and I bowed. Like, done, like like this was what we were meant to do. And I think you go into this traumatized state of mind where you, you just don't know what to do. And obviously the footage was deleted. It was never used. But some people took photos. It got into the press. It was, it was, a, it was a story. So then when we made the Netflix show, one of my producers said, look, it's a great story. Why don't we revisit this? Because it really gave me, it gave me real problems for a couple of years after that. I would wake up and and hear the sound of the rope on the gravel and just go back to that moment and how close it was to both of my arms being attached to half ton golf buggies going at 40 kilometers an hour and dip, you know, and, and then you just can't even process what the human body does under that.
0: And so when they say, let's do this again, you're like, yeah, okay, let's go.
1: So I could see the merit in the story. And I knew that we... With obviously with National Geographic, we'd have better mechanisms in place. We'd have a better crew, better safety, but it was still a huge thing to confront. And so we've made this episode, which is called Torn Apart. And you can see the final version. It's on YouTube. It's called, if you just look for DMC Torn Apart, you can see that version. And we revisited it instead of half-ton golf buggies. They were seven-ton trucks. We were on a runway just north of London, Trucks were going 60 miles an hour, something wild. And my mother was there. They wanted my mother there to film. That episode went crazy. And it it was a super viral, crazy in those days. This was 2013, 2014, very viral episode for them. And then off the back of that, Netflix then came. And I think they were in development with a sort of prank comedy magic show. And they were exploring magic. And they said, well, okay, let's move in a different space. This is amazing. Can you do more of this? And so I went to Netflix, I went to Los Angeles and I met Netflix and we found that tragically there's a whole bunch of stories of magicians dying in pursuit of attempting remarkable stunts right around the world. And from 10 years ago to 150 years ago, a whole bunch of tragic stories. And so we looked at this and thought there's something here making a show that looks into these stories, these, te- these remarkable people who gave everything in pursuit of magic, in pursuit of entertaining people and, and, and committing to their craft. And so we then put this together. It was a $10 million show. We shot eight episodes across five countries. We went to India, we went to South Africa, looked at these incredible stories and it was just one of the most traumatizing experiences in my life, because we were, again, as much as we had a lot of money, we had safety crews, things go wrong. You look at Alec Baldwin, who shot someone dead on a movie. In a movie, there shouldn't be a bullet on set, let alone loaded into a gun, let alone, there's a whole sequence of events. People, call, people talk about the Swiss cheese theory, I don't know if you know this, but in aviation, they talk about the Swiss cheese theory, which is effectively when, when a sequence of minor things happen. So for example, when there's a hole in a piece of cheese, and there's another hole, another hole. But when those holes line up and you can see through the cheese, that's what happens in many cases for a perfect disaster. So in aviation, they talk about this when a leaking fuel tank combines with a frayed cable, and and there's a whole, there's three or four little things, but they come together to this, this absolute perfect storm. Yeah, I'm sure
0: my husband knows about this. Is this, yeah. a, this is, right? <laughs>
1: So people, so I've heard it's in aviation, but I'm sure in many different things, you know, all kinds of areas of life. But this happens. And again, Alec Baldwin, it's unthinkable that a bull, a live round should be on a set. With magic, we allow ourselves certain levels of deception and safety and mechanisms and techniques. But at the same time, we've got, every single stunt has a hundred people that have to be utterly convinced. So you're not bringing in actors and giving them money. You're, everybody would be wheeled in, and I would walk out like it's a live as a live performance, like it would be on stage. And you have to convince them. So we are against it at a level that no movie comes close to. And under that kind of pressure, when you're jet lagged, you know, we'd shoot. We shot six episodes back to back, 10 shoot days with a travel day in between. Everybody's jet lagged. Things are forgotten. Things uh, didn't arrive in time. The venues falling through. The weather's holding everybody up. And so you just get these you get these days where just Pretty basic things happen, and we did eight stunts. And again, people think it's Netflix, it's this, it's television. It's all yeah. There, for there, the there are comments
0: that say that you know, uh, there's people that believe, and not just with this show, but in general with magic or illusions on TV. It's like you know, it's editing. I'll never believe it until I see it in real life. Sure, for sure. So, so what do you what do you do with that? Are you just well, taking with a pinch of salt? No,
1: no. I, I understand it, and I get it. I completely get it. And there's absolutely. All manner of TV shows that lean into that and um, it's not something you can ever as a magician that you can't really
0: Dispro- prove it otherwise yeah, people yeah, are yeah. going to take
1: their opinion they take their opinion but we just I think out of the eight stunts three of them I had to go and see paramedics for various things for cuts for smoke inhalation burns we did two stunts with fire one in Udaipur one in Los Angeles both stunts we had horrendous Mistakes in rehearsals, very seconds away from life-changing injuries kind of mistakes. Neither one was on camera, but terrible accidents. People were fired immediately. People sent home the next day because of how basic these mistakes were. And um, it was just, it was, it took me months to wind down from that because you're just living at this level where you pull off one stunt and nine days later, you know, and I'm cuffed underwater in a car. Filled with uh, you, the Miami stunt. I'm cuffed to in inside a car, and they put a, basically a fireman's hose in the car, and it's filled up with water, and I have to get out of the car, and it's horrendous. And the water's moving up like this, and there's chains around my neck and chains around my hands around the steering wheel, and you pull that off, and you have ten minutes of celebrating, and so they go
0: straight up. Okay, you can you can say no comments. Yes, but were there camera tricks involved on that particular episode?
1: No. No? no, no, that live audience we had this, we were in the middle of Miami on the beach. There were a bunch of people on camera, but there were 400 people standing there with iPhones, cameras and whatever. So no, we, that was, again, you know, if we, if we shot in a warehouse and we closed everything off and we brought in 50 people and we did, we did it five times, you go, okay, fine. We're going to get one of you know, it doesn't matter. But again, what we, you know, what we put ourselves into as a, as a, production. You're fully in public. There's no screens hiding you. Anybody can come past with a drone or a long lens camera or an iPhone. They can walk around the back and film something, put it online. Um, That one specifically, we were wide open. And I, and part of my emotional reaction at the end of that was basically the fact that no one had slept in three days. The car wasn't even holding water. There was no one on that. We had 120 people working behind the scenes on that one shoot where I'm in the car and the car fills up with water, I have real issues with water like that anyway, but nobody, nobody on the crew knew how to watertight a car. And so 20 minutes before we're shooting, the car's not holding water. So we, the only method we could, and, and then we did one rehearsal and when we opened the doors, the hinges bent. So then they wouldn't even close properly. So we couldn't even close the door to keep the water in. This is all happening 30 minutes before we meant to shoot. And so they said, right, get that forklift, drill holes in the doors and pull cables through. And so those doors are being held in position by cables that are going under my legs. And the only way those doors are opening is if the cable, the, the forklift operator pushes the button in, in time. And it was chaos from top to bottom. Everybody was screaming at each other. Nobody had slept in three days. Just nothing was working. And part of my reaction partly was the, the, the cuts and the blood and the adrenaline of doing it. But a huge part of it was the release because it was the most unthinkable the 20 minutes before, nothing was working, and we were basically going to have to either cancel the whole thing or come back at another time for maybe another $200,000 or whatever it would have been to rent a beach with 120 crew and cameras, and and it was just so intense. When I pulled down the cloth and I'm standing there, and everybody's going crazy, I just knew we'd done it, and I knew that it wouldn't it wasn't it hadn't been perfect, and a whole bunch of things we could have done better, but fundamentally we'd got it in the bag. And then I didn't even realize I had blood on my hands and my face for a couple of minutes. I go and I hug that. There's a lady that I hug. And then she has a denim jacket and she has this blood hand on the, on the back of her, her jacket. But again, that was just one moment where there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And, and of course, we allow, as magicians, we are, there's a, uh, it's a great magician in the UK called Darren Brown, who's a mind reader, mentalist. And a great, a great quote of his, he says, we are, we are inherently dishonest, but we're always honest about our dishonesty, right? So we, look, we use all manner of things as magicians, right? Psychological, physical, dexterity, sleight of hand, all manner of things. But fundamentally, you're chained up in a car that is being shut with cables, right? From a forklift that's 50 feet away, he can't see me. Um, I'm on fire. And, you know, again, in rehearsals, we got it wrong and nobody was near me when I was meant to be extinguished. I mean, there was nobody near me. The people we had holding the fire extinguishers who were meant to put me out were audience members who we'd asked the day before to come and put on a jumpsuit and squeeze a fire extinguisher at me. These are not trained people.
0: Why would you take a chance like that with your life? Because
1: this is the chaos chaos of television. And people just think, oh, you've got months and you just do a read. No, you're on set. It's taken months to plan for this. Your window is tiny. And in America, the there stipulations in terms of filming hours and it's very tight. Mm. You, you can't go over by three minutes. Lunch break is, this is it. If you're mid shot, the cameras go off and everyone has their lunch for an hour and you come back. That's it. Um, so, so these are unbelievably chaotic days. Wow. Um, I mean the, the, the fire one by, by way of just a final example, I was in a jumpsuit and when you're set on fire, you, I had two layers of, it was basically fleece that they, they soak overnight in freezing cold safety gel. So I basically in the middle of the night, we were shooting at like midnight in the middle of this field in outside Los Angeles, I basically had to strip naked, put on a fr- uh, two layers of fleece in freezing gel, freezing gel, mm-hmm. and then put on a jumpsuit. And then they basically, you go up to the, I was chained up to this post and then set on fire again. You think there's some clever Hollywood. No, they take Zippo fuel and just slosh you in Zippo. That's it. You smell like a Zippo lighter. They just cover you in flammable fuel. And, and that's it. And we did a rehearsal. And then I went back to get on my next, because obviously the safety, the jumpsuit is trashed. Go back to get my, my other uh, jumpsuit and it's two sizes too. I can't even get it over my waist. And this is it. We're done. We've got 200 people waiting. We've got 150 crew. We're in the middle of nowhere. and the safe and it's these tiny things, which you just need one of these. And so there was a whole bunch of screaming, and somebody was forced to take the jumpsuit I just used to wash and tumble dry it literally someone's home. They said, go to someone, knock on someone's door, give them however much money they need, and force them to wash and dry this. We need this back in 40 minutes. And we got it back. And the one that I use in the show is that jumpsuit. And um, it's just things like this. Again, the TV, you sit on the sofa, you think, oh, it's so gentle. And it's, no, it's chaos from, <laughs> Gosh, from sun up. I don't the, even
0: know why you did this. Now I'm hearing all this and I'm like, come on, no amount of money is enough. You're doing this for some kind no, of madness. No.
1: It is, it's a form of, well, look, you know, to be approached by Netflix and offered an opportunity like this was a remarkable thing. And, 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 you're working with incredible people. Uh, it's like anything. Like you're yeah. setting up a business, yeah. you know. Um, it was a remarkable project. But
0: I'm not a magician, and if they came to me, I'd do it. Right, okay. this the is The thrill it. of it no, is something is it. else, it's, yeah. It's a beautiful
1: th- se- now, uh, journey.
0: Now, now, you're, the things about you that are most amazing are that, how come this didn't happen before? Like, how come I haven't uh, seen someone in our own generation that is this passionate about um you know doing what you do how come i haven't met someone who's a resident magician here in abu dhabi you're you're in the uae and that's a first time as well isn't it
1: first time in the gcc i mean really first time in the <clears throat> in the history of really the middle east as a region I, as we discussed within islam within islamic culture the notion of magic has certain taboo connotations to it it's not like in the, in in english in english magic has 57 definitions, from the very good to the very bad, from voodoo to the magic of a Buddhist monk in the Himalayas, to the magic of a little girl at Disneyland and the magic, all, all different styles. As I have been told within Arabic, sehar refers to black magic, and that's it. There's no, there isn't a lighter side of that word. It just means it refers to um voodoo effectively within the Quran. It's all wrapped up within jinns and spirits and has these very heavy connotations, which means that magic as a form of entertainment hasn't really developed at all because it's so, the the whole idea of magic is so weighted, which makes perfect sense. And again, when you travel around the world, this is the beauty. In India, you have jadu. You have jadu, guys. There's a beautiful history of performing magicians and the Indian rope trick and all these Incredible performers. You go to Mexico. Magic is again witchcraft. We went to a witchcraft market called Sonora Market, where you can buy potions and hexes. You can buy a, a, a death curse. You can go to visit a witch and give the name and the photo of somebody you want to put a death curse on, and she, you pay her money, and she'll get her feathers and her her little uh, you know powders, and, and she'll do this.
0: Yeah, okay, I have so many questions. So many questions, <laughs> oh, right? But
1: but so but that's. A form of Mexican magic, and we explored that for National Geographic. We went and, and met some very strange people, um, but it's what's beautiful again about magic. And in this specific part of the world, within Islamic culture, magic has carried this certain interpretation to it. And it's been my ambition since since COVID and and uh, various things happened, and and there was a change of plans. And I thought, well, what could be more wonderful than come to this incredible part of the world and not challenge that. I don't wish to dispel any existing notions, but I would like to introduce culturally this beautiful style of magic, which to this moment, there's been a few magicians here and there at a restaurant, but at the wider level, the magic that I do is almost completely unexplored. And I just, the, the notion of being here and helping to develop that, and God willing, one day, you know, I think it's absolutely possible to elevate magic everywhere here, to do it in a way that hasn't been done. I, I go to Las Vegas and I feel my soul dying inside of me, you know, to, to go to Vegas and you just see so much of it. And I just, it's, it's, um, it's not a wholesome place. And, the, you know, it's the home of magic, but to me, it's the least magical place on the planet. It's drinking and excess and gambling and sort of dark forces and I, I just you know magic in Vegas is sort of slightly locked in that 1980s Vegas style and I just think there's such a, an opportunity here to elevate magic into this beautiful space new space more elevated more refined And the show that we have at the, at the Emirates Palace is a, is a reflection of that. It's, it's exclusive and it's beautifully presented and the theater is like nothing anyone's ever seen before. And it's a whole new take on what I think is this quite outdated Vegas style of magic.
0: We were there, you invited us. And so my husband Chandran and I, and um, you know, our parents, his parents were there. So I remember we walked in there not really knowing what to expect and because I had met you before that, I knew that you brought a sort of old world charm, you know, to what you do. Uh, but honestly, you know, from the first thing that you did, which was these things that you made us
1: Indian, right? The Indian story. It yeah. was so beautiful. Yeah.
0: And, um, and everything sit exactly as it was meant to. Of course, I'm guessing you've had now years of experience with working with people and, you know, with a lot of these things. But for us, we're experiencing it pretty much for the first time, you know, in so many years, live and actual in-person performance. And uh, I think Chandan will agree with me when I say that I think we were just not ready for what came and were blown away entirely. Thank you. You know, I mean, uh, the one I I still remember and we came home and, you know, my eldest, um, she's almost 14 now and she went through this phase of dabbling in magic and all of that. And so when we came home and I told her all about it and she was like, no, 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 I think I know how he did that one. I know how he did that one, you know? And I was like, there's no way to figure this out. You gave me a book, a random page, someone called out and I pulled out a word and then you figured out the word with some random deck of cards that was, it was too many unconnected elements yeah. that led to the perfect connection between question and answer. Well,
1: I, th- I think that's what I'm, what I'm most proud of with the show is, is, is the layers to it. You know, and you go and see some magic and, and it's, it's A to B. Take something, vanish it. Take your ring and it vanishes and it's in this fruit, that's it. And what's so lovely when I constructed Impossible, the show, is that I wanted to weave everything in. So you have these callbacks and this moment, 20 minutes ago, suddenly this moment and the choice, this lady mentioned something and he, this chap mentioned something and suddenly it all weaves together and you realize the relevance of everything. And it's been this, you know, this long con. I've been, I've been getting everybody in the right position for the big, for the big finish. So it's a very, very special thing. And it's really, it's a combination of my favorite magic in the world woven into my story and what inspired me and My first time in India.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing for anyone that's watching this episode and they're in the UAE, you know, the next time they mention the word magic around their phones... And then the next time they use their phones, the yes. phone's gonna show them ads of your show. Impossible, because that's what's ha- been happening to me. Because oh, it? we've been in conversation, oh, interesting. and my phone's been popping up—you know—ads of you. I've oh, been seeing them more and more. Okay, that's some kind of magic,
1: yes, as well. It's the Google magic, right?
0: Um, well, so sorry. When you just—you know—you just turned right now for an instant, yes. and I noticed that the tattoo again. Tattoo. What does it say? I've forgotten. So it's
1: a "Hosla, Hosla Pyar Vishwas." So when I first went, when I first went to India, I was reading all these books. I read Shantaram and I read the, you know, Rint and Mystery and the great Indian novels. And, and I just, there's nobody who romanticizes India more than I do. And, and it's funny because when I speak to Indian people about India, they say, gosh, I've never thought of my country in this way. And I, I just, I, I worship every element of the culture, the country, the food, the people, the resilience, the way that Indians celebrate life at every single possible moment, you know, and I coming from the West where everybody everybody has it largely much easier and yet manage to grumble and complain so much more Indians. I just, I always say to people in, in the ways that truly matter in life, I think India is one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a big part of me weaving that weaving that into the, the show. But when I went there the first time I was reading all these books and so inspired by India, I, one book I was reading was called, actually nothing to do with India, but it's called Man's Search for Meaning, hmm. which is a beautiful book. And it's cool. It's by a man called Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish prisoner. He went to four prison camps in World War II. He came out, he lost his mother, his father, his brother, his pregnant wife, everybody. And he wrote this book and it's this, it's a book about finding meaning through suffering and it's ch- it's a very short book it's called man's search for meaning it's very commonly voted most top 20 most influential books of the 20th century very powerful book logotherapy is his study of meaning logotherapy and and he wrote this book and i was and i was reading this and it really zo- I, I zoomed out probably much too much for a 19 year old, but I was thinking about life in the broader sense. And I just thought, I want to live by principles. I don't want to be pushed. And when I hit 25 or 40, suddenly all my whole value system changes. I want to have principles that I would adhere to for my whole life. And so I sat down, I really thought about what would be three elements that I could never say. I've changed a little bit on this, I had three mantras. And so I wrote three phrases. And then I spoke to my friend Mohammed, who lives in Udaipur, and I said, "Brother, if you would capture each one of these in a phrase, well, in in a word, Hindi word, what would they be?" And he said, "Hosla piar vishwas. So then, I, when I was in London, I I just I tattooed it, and it's the little bit of India that I I carry with me. And I just, you know, my dream. I think I said when COVID hit, and I ended up in, I went to India. I flew to India beginning of 21. There was that little window. Do you remember when, when India started opening cricket matches and weddings and the whole world said, Yes, India's the first nation to beat COVID? <laughs> and of course, it was way too early. But there was that little window. And I spoke to my visa. I had this great visa man in London. And I said, Could I get a ticket to, to India? Because I'm just, London is so bleak and so dark and, and so uh, whatever. He said, Yeah, I can get you a visa. So we worked it out and i did all the paperwork all the testing and i flew to india and i was at the i was at a hotel i was at the St. regis in mumbai and i had to do 14 days in one room yeah. and it was the 14 days where everyone was saying oh, india's done it india's be covid and then of course literally the day i come out it, mumbai just starts to tick up and then it, and then a week later literally within a week or two mumbai shut down and we a bunch of us went to goa we went down to Agonda and there were 12 or 15 of us, really some of my dearest Indian friends. We were in Agonda and then Goa shut down. Fifth, Goa was 50% positivity. So 50% of people taking tests were positive. And so Goa just shut down. I've never, we would be on mopeds going through parts of India, which are usually just packed with people and it boarded up. We ran out of fuel. We couldn't get fuel. We had to siphon from somebody else's moped. Couldn't get water. You could, everything shut down in Goa. And so with my girlfriend at the time, we then flew to, we flew to Mumbai and then Mumbai to Chandigarh and then Chandigarh, we just jumped in a car. We went about four hours North of Shimla and we went up right up into the mountains to a little place called Jibbi. And I am very confident I will die in Jibbi. It is the most, I mean, in the sense that that's where I want to spend the end of my life because, sorry, (laughs) sorry. It's where I see myself Hmm. seeing out this life because- I've never seen a place more immaculate, more beautiful, fresher, cleaner, purer. The, the, the river water, the green grass, the flocks of sheep and the Pahari people with their smiles. The You know, I noticed Pahari people, typically their resting face is a smile. Mm. It's very interesting. You go to London, you go mm. on the underground, everybody's resting face is like, Axe murderer face, right? You walk around, everybody's so glum and downcast. and And, you know, cities, it's tough and whatever. Pahari people, just, their eyes are kind. Their mouths typically turn up as they approach you. They are, they look 20 years younger than they are. Their skin is so fresh. And they're just pure souls. And I just, the people we met, We'd stay, we'd you know, we'd stay somewhere for a week or so and then move and then move. And this was the peak of Delta. And we just thought, let's just hide. Let's just get away and just ride out this wave. Half a million people, I think, catching COVID every day at that peak. And we just said, look, let's see this out up here. And it was just the most exquisite, beautiful, spiritual place. And again, we're walking through the forests and every 300 yards, there's a little shrine in a little tree. They've just put this little bits of ribbon, a little statue, little tiny statues. And it was just, I'd never conceived of, forget India, a place in the world as pure and as beautiful as this. And so that I would, as I say, I would love to, I know in Uttarakhand you can't, as a foreigner, you can't buy property. So I would have to marry someone from Uttarakhand, yeah. I, I believe. Are
0: you single? Because my mother-in-law was asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm presently single <laughs> All and, right, and this it's is much it. too busy for distractions at present. Mm. So getting the show ready and launching everything here, I'm, I'm just, I'm so, I've been so focused on on all of this. But um, yeah, India, India, again, like magic, I, the second I landed, it hit me and I will be there. I will go back as often as I can. Part of the beauty of being here, as much as I adore this part of the world, yeah. is that India is on the doorstep. It's yeah. two hours, two and a half hours to Mumbai. Yeah. So I want to start doing those.
0: That's nice. This I feel like I not only know your past and present, I know your future as well now. Um, so by the way, when we were at your show, we picked up um yes. this. Yeah, yes. Zilch. Is this, what is your connection? Did you design this game? It's or what my is baby.
1: It? Top to bottom, it's my baby. So just as a family, we grew up ah. always playing games. We, In fact, when we went back for Christmas with our family, we played Scrabble on the same 30-year-old Scrabble board that we've always played on. Yeah, And I've always... I just, some of my happiest memories were playing games with my family around a table like this, yeah. right? Siblings, parents, Christmas, whatever it might be. And so when COVID hit, I, you know, week one, you mm. make mm. banana bread or you'd learn mm. a recipe, right? Mm. And then week two, we made candles. Mm. i always one to make candles. So <laughs> you get newspaper everywhere and you spend whole evenings making candles. Mm. And then I made Aftershave. I, I started learning about Aftershave and now I, I have uh, You I have, have a brand? brand. No, I, it's, it's not a brand. I just, I make it and I give it to people. And no. it happened yesterday. I was in Tasha's yesterday. Yes. And the manager in Tasha's, he comes up to me. I know him very well. I go to Tasha's very often. He's called Carmel. And he yeah. came up to me and he said, brother, this smell is incredible. And I just give him the bottle. I said, this is for you. You take this. So it's not, I don't sell it. It's not something I have commercial aspirations with, but it's just so lovely. And when people comment on it, I give them the bottle and I make myself another bottle. So it, we did that. And then probably the second month of lockdown, because you remember that initially it was three weeks. I don't know what it was here. And in, but when Boris Johnson came out, so we're going to lockdown, it was three weeks to flatten the curve. It was nothing. And it was, you know, there were the memes. People, it was, for two weeks, it was sort of humor. It was all that. Everybody was finding it quite amusing. And then it goes, no, this is, we're all in this for the long haul. And so I I just thought, okay, well, obviously magic is impossible. And what was on a personal level, professional level, quite difficult was that overnight, it was impossible to do magic for basically two years. I couldn't do magic. I couldn't be in a room with people. So magic was off the cards. <clears throat> and so I thought, how best to do this? So I started writing a book, which is based in the Himalayas, it's another whole nother story. Nice. But I sat down and I created this and I thought, you know, we've always always played Scrabble and I wanted to create a family game that is simple and current and plays like a lot of the popular games, you know, slow turn-based games, Monopoly and less frequent today. People need faster, more intense games. So I, I played with that. Zilch is the fruits of that. So it's a very simple word game. I say it's like Uno meets Scrabble. So it's a card game, but it's very much about, um, looking at a number of cards on the table and forming words as quickly as you can. And if you form the word, you win those letters. Yeah. Yeah. So our
0: son, he's six and he loves. Really? Zilch. He'll, he'll be the first one to grab it and say, mama, can we play? Oh. You know, he loves it. And today you've brought uh, another one. So then I gave this you also- my follow up.
1: This is my baby. It's my, my second baby. Oh
0: my God. Tell us how do you, how do you. So this is, yeah. so
1: fibsy. So basically, so Zilch is available. Hmm. Uh, I think it's, I think we've just got it now on Amazon UAE, which is, mm. which is a big, big win. Hmm. So this hmm. is available. Fibsy is more fun. Hmm. So when I was a kid, we used to play cheat in America. You call it BS or, but it's bluffing you're bluffing your family i still don't know a higher emotion than successfully bluffing <laughs> a brother or sister there just isn't a high when you're that young or yeah. of any age your husband wife whatever and you make a bluff and you and pull it off for it uh, I mean, it's just the best <laughs> thing ever you could exist on that for weeks you go, oh, do you remember because the when we did this and also conversely when you bluff and i catch you out and I know you better than anybody on the planet. It's just the greatest thing. I was in a meeting uh, a few last year, early early last year, and I was talking to this gentleman uh, uh, about games, and, and he loved games. And I said, I said, I've always loved cheat, and I want to come up with a a game that draws on bluff. And so Fibsy, Fibsy is that, and you have Captain Fibsy. Captain Fibsy is the pirate. Mm-hmm. He has a little parrot bluffer, right? So effectively you have you have number cards, it's all pirate themed. And you can play cards face up, but if you want to turn a card face down and bluff, you can. If you don't have the right card, you can put a card face down and bluff. And it's up to you if you want to call yeah. my bluff. And if yeah. you want to call my bluff, you say Fibsy. We have a look. Whoever's wrong picks up the cards. And this is the game. My sister came back from her wedding. And she said with her then husband, with her new husband, her just how do you say?
0: Uh, <laughs> how do I say newly, newly wedded husband. Wedded husband, I guess, yeah.
1: They stayed up for three hours, drunk, <laughs> playing <laughs> fibsy, right? And and it's the game that, you know, I, I sit down, I'll play with everybody, and it's just a really lovely, fun game. And, right. and this, again, family, friends, people. The, the, what's great about this is the better you know people, hmm. the more fun the game. Hmm. So people that you know and love, it's just the greatest. So these are my yes. babies. Fibsy's not out. We're we're getting it out, but okay. it's just you know again all out of um, COVID. And I yeah. just for me, you know, hearing of your son loving to play the game, it's almost like it's as close to a magical experience without me being in the room. How can you give people maximum joy without needing to be there? Have them play a game together. And so I have so Fibzy is and you want to have another game, the next game which is a chess-inspired card game which is my third and then i think i'll i'll finish that chapter but nice. three games and it's just it's such a lovely thing you people send stories and photos and they said look we in fact there was a there was a german family who came to the emirates palace in november i think and i gave them fibsy and i caught up with them a few nights later and they they're so funny they came up and they said they had been playing at talea the night before the italian restaurant and the manager had to come over and say, I'm so sorry. I have to ask you to stop playing because you're making too much noise. You're basically having too much fun yeah. and you're disturbing the other guests. Yeah. And so I thought that was a, that was a good. That's a win.
0: Yeah. That's a win for sure. Good sign. This has been a deep dive, but I just, I feel like I, I you know, so one of the things that we did was I told you a bunch of things that I wanted to do when I asked you if we could do on camera magic trick. And you were like, no, not really, but I feel like we've got you here. And it's just, it's just, it'll be like a, I can't believe Karishma had Drummond, you know, on the show and and then she didn't even ask him. So I'm going to ask you to show us absolutely anything. If I were to teach my kids a trick, if I were to get Isaiah, who's six years old, on his, you know, first magic, what would you recommend we do? A coin trick, a card trick?
1: Um, In terms of learning magic... Some very, very basic. Yeah. Well, one of, if I would teach you the first thing I ever learned. Yes. So this is the issue with magic. It's this ever changing Rubik's, Rubik's cube because again, 20 years from now, children won't know what coins are. Playing cards are disappearing. I talk about this in the show that I say to people, what's your card? What's the, what card are you thinking of? And the lady said the seven of popcorn.
0: For clubs, did I tell you this?
1: <laughs> no. no, somebody said this uh, literally the other day. It was, obviously they meant the seven of clubs, but it looks like a little bit of popcorn. And it's simply the fact that people have play cards now. They don't yeah. play traditional playing cards in the way that 50 years ago, everybody played cards all the time. You'd know the jack of spades, the queen of diamonds, all of these cards. So it's ever changing. And of course, iPhone magic is now a very big thing. People do magic with iPhones. Um, but this was the first trick I've learned and it is it's very simple please please confirm this is not in the show I don't open with this as a piece of magic no, this no, is not no. a reflection this of. is
0: just on my insistence uh, <laughs> and I just feel like we have to have a little bit of magic uh, that Drummond leaves us with and okay. this is purely for Isaiah who's a six year old boy who's your, my son
1: you're not part bachelor. of the impossible your my bachelor. Bachelor,
0: my little bacha
1: so this so it's just very simple you, you effectively have a coin and uh, nothing here right you take the coin you tap it in your hand hands are empty No sleeves nothing and when you do this again take this here coin disappears Right? so simple so beautiful so <laughs> vow uh,
0: so <laughs> very simple
1: very yeah. very simple but it's it's this is the simplest simplest oh, so okay. all you do hmm is you have it here, right? So there's elements, again, you can do this at a very simple level, but again, it'll give you a little insight into magic when it's uh, the nuance of magic. Because you can pick this up and do this once, right? So for example, I could pick this up, make it vanish, and that's it. But some people would cotton on to exactly what I just did. I have now lost it. Okay. would cotton onto it. Right. Because all that's happening on a, on a level of technique, all I'm doing is I'm sliding it off the back of the table. That's it.
0: Ah. Right. But of course you make it look like, <laughs> but I think it's it the way you do it. It's not just the sliding. No, off so this it. is it. Yeah. So this is it.
1: So like I said, like a lot of magic, you can do this at a very simple level And you could just pick it up and make it vanish. But a lot of people would instinctively, they go, well, okay, well, it just came off the back." Some people would work that out very quickly. Um, What's lovely about this is you condition people a few times. So you tap it and you tap it on the table. So you get them used to you picking the coin up, right? On the final time, again, you want a little time delay. If I, for example, if I do this, if I pick up the coin and it vanishes, you know that this is three inches away and I just did it. What you want to do is get physical and time misdirection. So for example, when you do it twice, pick it up, tap it on the table. Do it once. Get people used to it. Do it again. Tap it here, tap it there, whatever. On the, th- on the third time, you reach out. You All you do is you just, your, your thumb is slow to get in position. So you literally slide it off and you just come up like this, right? Then you delay. Because if you do it here, they do it, well, it's just off the table. But if you come up here and then almost play with it a little bit, move away from the edge of the table, suddenly the vanish happens up. It happens here.
0: So much acting and. all. And it's two,
1: three, four seconds later so that you've forgotten, oh, it came off. So you pick it up, you come over here, then the vanish happens here. And again, this is a very basic example, but this is a little...
0: Look, it's not just me. Look, do you see everyone? Else,
1: like. Chaps, this comes with my blessings. You're welcome to to begin your own cult followings with this very simple trick. But it's it's just it's a good example. And and the way to practice this, what we always say in magic, is do it once for real, and then do it once uh, with with the move. And what you want to do is have those two things look as identical as possible. Because what some people will do is they'll do it perfectly, and then when they do the move. They'll flick it and and get it wrong. You have to repeat, repeat. Of course, you can film yourself on your phone to really get it perfect, but it's not a complicated move. You slide it up, bring it up to eye level, do something like this, give a little bit of time, and then have it vanish there. Right? So little, torasa, torasa
0: This is amazing. You know, I, I. By the way, speaking of card games, because you mentioned that as well, yeah, I know so. that we do a lot of card games. We have yes. a game, a family game called Stop the Bus that we play the most. Yes, of course. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yes. Uh, if you much. were ever invited to our house for a game night, yes. uh, would you cheat? So, are you?
1: <laughs> how do I say this? I. You know what's interesting about this? So I've never gambled, and I have friends who you know went through their little gambling moments. I think what it is. When you're playing a video game, you know how to cheat. It sort of takes the fun out of the whole thing because you. I know I can just press this button and I'm going to get the bazooka or whatever it is. With magic and card games, it's sort of the same thing. I I know that at any stage, it's not really within my wheelhouse. I, it isn't something I would lean into. But I know that I could just do something and get the four aces, whatever it is. Yeah. So I just, I enjoy, this is why Fibsy is so fun because Fibsy is not about the cards. It's about you. So you learn the, once you've learned the rules, it's much more about the players. This is the joy you're in each other's heads. And then you start double bluffing and you start triple bluffing and you start telling them, <laughs> say fibsy. Cause I've just put down, tell me fibsy cause I've just bluffed. And yeah. you start playing these games. So I, I play games to me, the games that are more psychological, I find more engaging
0: mm.
1: less the games where it's, I don't know There's that physical element to it. Cause it, again, not that I would, I just, it, it's not something I enjoy. I've ever really enjoyed that much. Okay. And when I, in fact, when I left school, I went to the London gaming college and I trained to be a croupier three months to be a croupier. Yep. So I trained in blackjack and roulette chipping up the numbers, the statistics, the every element of roulette. <clears throat> and again, it's, you sort of see how the sausage gets made. And so you just walk into a casino. Now you just, you know that the odds are so so against you. It's just, you're just throwing money into the wind. So, no, it's not something that I, you know, I guess at the core level, everything pales in comparison to magic. It's, you know, the joy of this, is this. this. It, magic is just, as I said to my father way back then, you know, it's like, it's just nothing else. So typically that's, that's where I sit with that.
0: Nice. Okay, one last thing before we Please. let you go is because you love Hindi as much as you do. I'm going to say some sentences in Please. Hindi. And uh, let's see if you know what I'm saying. Okay. 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 All right. So, um first up, I'm Drummond here.
1: Hanji, I'm Drummond here. I'm uh, Angrizi here. Oh. London, se, London, i London in London. Like in Abu Dhabi, I'm in Retaho. Uh, jadugar, I'm in Parat. I'm Zindagi here. Oh. I'm in Parati Mare, I said people My Atma is Bharati And I'm
0: looking for Bharati dhulan <laughs> I'm dun
1: looking
0: dun, for dun, an dun, Indian
1: bride <laughs> Let's see We will
0: see
1: Shayad will be possible
0: It will Look at this man He's pure love, honesty, <laughs> truth All inside of all of this thank you very much <laughs> it's just a beautiful soul drum and I thank really you. really enjoyed this it's my I pleasure thank you it's great you to share. see you yeah 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 absolutely and I hope you've enjoyed sharing your story with first, us it's
1: my first podcast I've never done podcasts this is number no one no way
0: you are a number thank you for coming thank you and uh, I think Chandran and oh there's Izzy, That's, um, Hi, Izzy. she's my ah, almost 14 year old okay Isabel Hi everybody. That's Emilia. Oh, you have the full team. And, and that's Isaiah. Isaiah,
1: Isaiah, how are you?
0: Do you remember this game? Look here. What's in Mama's hands? Do you like this game? Yeah. Zilch, uh, zilch. So this is Drummond who's created zilch. This is I'm his sure. game. He made it.
1: It's my game. It's my baby Well we'll sit down We'll play in a minute We'll have a go in a minute
0: Yeah And that's Izzy So when we came back From Abu Dhabi um, After watching your show We came back home And told Izzy All the amazing things That yes, we remember yes. And Izzy was just like I- I'm going to figure out How he did it
1: <laughs> Well you must come Please come uh, anytime I'll get you tickets You must come down <laughs> And we'll do the full experience It would be my pleasure
0: Alright And I'll I-
1: teach you We'll teach you fibsy now as well. Oh, oh, okay, And we'll get new you guys game. Locked into Fibzi
0: all right, okay, I think it's time for uh, us to go hang out with the family now. Thank it. you for coming in, Drummond. My pleasure, my pleasure. Jali this is so much fun, absolutely. We won't let
1: you
0: You're staying with us for now sure. for a few days. For sure, <laughs> Keep watching Hey Karish, we have new videos that come out every single Friday. This is the second season and we're bringing you guests that are just so incredibly interesting. You don't want to miss out on any one of these shows. Drummond.
1: Thanks, Karish. Namaste. Namaste. will see you soon. This is Drummond and you've just seen me on Hey Karish. Okay, namaste. may Drummond, this Ye Hey Karish. Or, uh, Kripia. Like, subscribe, follow, Karna. Close? Yes. <laughs>